0: Welcome to the Imagine Talks podcast, Achieving Success, Social Impact, and Overcoming Obstacles. I'm Tammy Tran. For today's episode, our guest is Jen Louie. Jen Louie graduated from UC Berkeley in 1995 with degrees in Mass Communications and Development Studies. Her successful career includes launching the first LGBTQ news magazine TV show in the country, producing hip hop radio, and founding Six Sense Consulting Group. Jen has produced hundreds of campaigns and events, including the X Games, NBA All-Stars Super Bowl parties, New York Fashion Week, the Bay Area Olympic bid 2012, the Clinton Foundation Millennium Network events, and many community initiatives, capital campaigns, and responsibility programs. Here is Jen Louie with Courage and Strength
1: no boundaries jen how are you good thank you awesome so thanks Thanks for joining us thanks (laughs) Thanks for for having me thanks for thanks for coming and joining (laughs) us here all right so jen just to give a little bit of a perspective here what exactly do you do for a living
2: um you know my parents have been asking me that for the last 20 something years right (laughs) i was supposed to be a doctor but i am the founder of sixth sense consulting group and as of last year, I became the president of Smart Home Start U.S., a home automation business now headquartered in Hawaii on the Big Island.
1: Fantastic. Now, you also have a nickname called the Asian Agent. Right? Yeah. Now, if that's within your industry. Right. How did you get the nickname the Asian Agent?
2: So I got that nickname from many of my clients. Um, I have worked behind the scenes for um, many A-list celebrities, top CEOs, and high-profile government officials. Um, I started getting the name um, Secret Asian Agent, kind of like a 007 in business development, because I'm always the girl who works behind the scenes. Um, Many times you may not see my face or my name associated with these campaigns, but I'm a part of it. Um, I've actually had the privilege of writing speeches and copy points for presidents, mayors, governors, um, and CEOs. And that was how I got the name. I'm not a talent agent, I'm not a real estate agent, I'm more of a business agent.
1: (laughs) And you said presidents. Any presidents that we might know?
2: Yes, I've had the privilege of working for uh, President Clinton on behalf of the Clinton Foundation's Millennium Network Foundation. Uh, When he first started that, it was meant to target the millennium generation and inspire, encourage them to give back, uh, specifically time, talent, or treasure. And when I worked for President Clinton's group, it was very interesting. They were so organized, Um, they were so respectful. I was uh, humbled and I was uh, shocked at how much power and freedom they gave me to help produce some of these events around the country.
1: So you actually worked with President Clinton's staff. What did you do exactly for President Clinton?
2: Um, So my job was helping to produce these uh, charity events um, and the foundation events across the country. Um, from Chicago to Miami to New York to San Francisco. And I work hand in hand with his fund development director who actually was a very young person. He started out in the Clinton Foundation as an intern and then he became the fund development director. Today he's a top agent for one of the top talent management companies in Los Angeles. Um, so my job was to put on the show, put on the event, interact with sponsors to make sure that all of their branding and, um, and what, what we promised the sponsors were integrated into the event itself. What I did not expect was an opportunity to actually work, coordinate, and manage the Secret Service. Um, I I would say actually that was one of the highlights in my life.
1: So you get to actually coordinate the Secret Service of the president?
2: Uh, Yes, because when you work with um, the president, he would send the Secret Service um, to the event to assess the safety and security for the venue, and we go over the event flow of the itinerary and the day, uh, with his staff and his team, they check the whole venue to make sure everything's secure and safe, and then the day of, we present them with the itinerary, and um, from there, they determine where they would place themselves, and then they work hand-in-hand with us and our backstage team.
1: Wow, that's pretty high profile.
2: Yeah, that, that, was, um, that was something that I never, ever thought, um, being a first-generation um, Asian-American, um, born to rice farm farmers, that I can actually... Get you that level of experience. And, and I, I consider it um, lucky in the right time, the right opportunity, the doors opened.
1: Okay, now you mentioned rice farm, a farmer. So that implies a very humble beginning. Yes, Tell me about your beginnings. Like where did you come from in terms of like birthplace and being raised
2: so um, I was made in China, right? <laughs> um, we're from Toy San. You know, I speak great Toy Sun, <laughs> but very, um, not very useful in business, as we know, but very good at the Chinese restaurants and in Chinatown, very useful. Um, my parents wanted me to be a doctor. Uh, they worked odds and ends jobs, worked really hard to put us through college. Um, I was lucky enough to go to Berkeley, and I was supposed to major in biology, but I learned very quickly that biology and chemistry did not like me. I tried really, really hard. Um, The first semester at Cal, I actually almost got kicked out, but my parents did not know this. I was put on academic probation. I had two A's and two D's, and it was very clear what my calling was. Um, The two A's came incredibly easy for me, whereas the two D's was chemistry and biology. I had the hardest time I actually took both of those classes twice and my best grade was a C plus. And so I had a meeting with my counselor at Cal who said, you know, you should really think about following your passion. Look at your strengths, what are you good at? Um, I really didn't know any other path other than to become a doctor and to make my parents happy because that was the expectation my my family members put on me. Um, That was also the expectation I put on myself. Um, I didn't know how else to make them proud. Um, back then, you know, we didn't have as many options. Uh, we also, being first generation Asian American, you don't know a lot about all of the different job opportunities out there. We also didn't have any bridges to, to cross over um, politically, socially, or economically. So it was just within our own circle. So at that time, I took a hard look at myself and it was really, um, I felt incredibly disappointed that I, I had to abandon my goal of being a doctor. Um, I took an internship at KPIX because I knew that I had a love for media, I knew I had a love for business, and I knew I had a love for politics, but I didn't know exactly where, where that was going to end up. And it was my internship at KPIX that completely changed my world. At the same time, I met this amazing woman named Rose Chung, who introduced me to the Miss Asian American Pageants, and I became involved with that. Uh, my father was the one who kind of made that connection, and that completely changed my life.
1: So, Rose Chung was walking and wandering around her somewhere. You were then part of the Miss Asian Global Pageant Court. Do you mind telling us about what circa year this was?
2: 1997, I believe. Um, I was 19 years old, I think. Um, And my father thought entering into the Chinese pageants was a good idea because um, I was known to be a nerd. I've always been a nerd. I used to be shy. And my dad said, you know, these pageants are very prestigious. Um, I think it's a great experience for you. Well, of all of the titles that I got, I got Miss Asian America School Elastic. <laughs> now I was officially Miss Nerd, and I actually used to hate that title. Um, now I'm incredibly proud of it. Um, when I first did the pageants, I, I had no experience. I didn't know what to expect. And um, I felt that I disappointed my parents because I wasn't prepared. And of course, you don't go to a beauty pageant to become Miss School Elastic. But I can tell you that now that I absolutely love being the scholastic because I realize like the end of the day, your intellect is gonna carry you throughout your life. And we all know that beauty will fade over time. <laughs> so I'm very proud of that title now.
1: So between your internship and your involvement with the pageant to pull you out of your shell, mm-hmm. how did those two things help you get to where you are today then?
2: Networking. Um, so in my time with Miss Asian America and the pageant, um, I was a part of the court and with Rose and the community leaders, we were introduced to many other great business leaders and community and civic leaders. It was actually with our time um, spent in Chinatown that I met a lot of the up and coming um, leaders in that community who who later on became supervisors and mayors and senators. Um, Through the pageants, we were tasked to to, um, be active in community service. And it was my networking within that circle, the nonprofit world, that opened doors for me while I was pursuing my passion in my career.
1: So you also touched on community service. How important that, is that, in your opinion, in part of a career building? Like this is free work you're giving to somebody, but it seems like it's also very key to a person's development.
2: You know what's really interesting? Um, we're always taught to go after a degree, to go after a career. Uh, one of the things that I learned is that, forget the job title, you know, forget uh, the industry. Think about the qualities of that career or job that you're interested in. Um, do you get to interact people, with people? Do you get to give back to the community? Um, are you passionate about what you do? Do you show up somewhere and just get engaged? And, and not only are you giving something back, but are you getting something, um, are you getting knowledge? Are you making an impact? So. One thing that I find really interesting about community service, and I fell into it completely by accident because of the pageants, but it opened up, it unearthed something inside of me. I love being impactful. I love being a part of something um, great, even if it's just for our small community, for seniors or for children, or for something as grand as the Clinton Foundation. In the world of philanthropy, um, there is actually a very interesting secret formula that happens, everyone is equal. When you show up at a nonprofit event, even if you're a volunteer, you're actually side by side with a mega philanthropist. You're side by side with an influencer. You don't know who's with you, but right there when you show up, we're all volunteers. And through that network, doors open because you have one thing in common, and that is you're genuine. You're out there to give. You're, You're among a circle of givers. And it's interesting that all of my work relationships in the last 20 years, I almost acquired all of my clients, not through traditional marketing or Facebook ads, but through networking within the nonprofit world.
1: So what advice would you be able to give somebody who's going out to look for community service, volunteer organizations to work with? Like how do you, you have all these options, but how do you quickly and efficiently narrow it down to something that's meaningful to you?
2: First of all, choose um, charities and nonprofits that truly con- that you truly connect with. Um, as Josie mentioned, you know, she went through um, a lot of trials and tribulations with losing her father. So obviously, because of his um, death, she now is connected to that to the illness or the disease that impacted his life. And obviously, if she associates herself with a nonprofit that aligns with that cause, she is not only there as a volunteer, but she's emotionally engaged. And when you're emotionally engaged in something, it's amazing what the human spirit can give back and contribute to the world. So is your cause healthcare? Is your cause uh, kids? Is it, um, is it the environment? You know, Choose something that you're genuinely passionate about and then you will actually be around like minds. Um, I do actually want to take a moment to quote The Rock because I love this quote. He said, always be humble and be the hardest working person in the room. And that always stuck with me. Um, I learned that if I'm in the room and I'm the smartest one, I'm in the wrong room. If I'm in the room and I'm actually the one who has the least amount of experience and the least amount of knowledge, I'm in the right room. And so through my networking um, career, as I call it, um, I actually was always around people smarter than me. And I learned from them and they inspired me. Um, And it was actually through that real life education, through that learning process, Um, I I developed and was able to nurture my passions into something much greater and always be humble.
1: Great, now you did a lot of volunteer work. How did some of this volunteer work, because you said you have some really high profile clients you work with in politics and also entertainment. So how did some of this community service translate into working eventually into entertainment as well too?
2: Yes, um, so my first uh, career was in um, television. I started as an intern at KPIX, which is the local CBS affiliate in the sports department. When I was working there, I met people who were launching a local TV show. And um, I, the TV show at that time was called Out Talk. So I applied and I had no clue it was an LBGT show. I thought it was for minorities because actually their job recruitment flyers said, you know, are right, do you believe in voicing you know, um, about equality? Do you believe in equal rights? Do you believe in empowerment? And I was thinking, that's me. And so when I show up to the interview, I had no clue as it was actually launching the first gay and lesbian TV show at that time. Um, when I got the job, that was when I knew. <laughs> when I showed up for the first staff meeting, I was like, oh, okay. I didn't know how to break this to my parents. Not only was I not going to be a doctor, but now I am the face of the first LGBT TV show in the country. Um, but, but that experience was, was amazing. And so being engaged um, in activism and community service, uh, I actually, it was very interesting. It was the time when cause-related marketing started to surface in the corporate world. And through my experience with nonprofits, while I was working in my corporate job, I started bridging the gap between the two worlds. And I said, well, I know that Nike's giving a lot of money um, to these communities, and I know this market's important to them. And guess who's buying their shoes? They should get back to this cause. They should help kids. Um, you know, I know for a fact that Red Bull's making a lot of money off of extreme sports. They should get back to this cause. PG&E, you know, there's a lot you can do for us. So um, because I got to see the corporate side and I was um, emotionally and intimately engaged in the nonprofit world, I became the connector between the two. And then that led um, me into working for some pretty high-level for-profits and nonprofits.
1: Well, what are some of the, if you can name-drop with Mm -hmm. us, what are some of the biggest names, or at least one of the biggest names you've worked with in entertainment?
2: So um, when I, kind of rewinding back a little bit, um, after television, I fell into radio. And at that time, the only job opening available was like a hip-hop and rap station. I knew nothing about hip-hop and rap. There I was, disappointing my parents again, from LBGT TV <laughs> to hip-hop and rap. They were so afraid that I was gonna bring home and marry Flavor Flav, you know, or 50 Cent, who was in my social circle. Um, so when I worked in hip-hop and rap radio, I, I ended up being one of their top uh, self development, um, Account executives, and I was making six figures overnight, and I was right, right there at the right time, the right place when hip hop was at its peak. Um, and then when I was 29, I realized I said, you know, it was my first uh, midlife crisis as a as quarter life crisis. I said, you know, I'm 29. I have no husband, no children, no debt, no pets, no plants. You know, um, and and I have a house. Um, I always wanted to do more than just sell air. I wanted to do a little bit more than just staying in the Bay Area but I didn't know how. So I um, had some amazing mentors in my life. Um, At that time it was Willie Brown, who has been hugely impactful um, to me as a mentor and a family friend. Um, He was the one who gave me the courage to go out there and start my own business, but I actually didn't have a business plan. I didn't know exactly what that was gonna look like. So he said, you know, um, you should be a marketing and business development consultant. Take all of the relationships that you have nurtured from your TV and radio days, And your clients, they don't follow companies, they follow people. And so um, I decided to walk away from a very high paying job and start my own company. And he was right, in about 30 days, um, I was able to get the Olympic bid project, I was able to get uh, Guinness Diageo UPS 76 oil company as clients. And a friend of mine from Guinness Diageo introduced me to hip hop mogul Russell Simmons. And Russell said, you know, I know you just started this company in California, but I would love to hire you as my VP of marketing. I'm launching a beverage company in New York. Will you move here? No kids, no husband, no plants. Sure, you know, I pack my bag, I'm in New York. Mom, I'm gonna be working for a hip hop rap mogul now. So so when I went to New York, Russell once again opened up to the world of opportunities. Next thing you know, we're having meetings with Eminem, 50 Cent, Jay-Z, um, I have great stories ab- uh, about you know every rapper <laughs> known to man and Russell actually realized I had a very strong background in community service and philanthropy so he said you know you should also be involved with my community and government initiatives he introduced me to Dr. Benjamin Chavez who was his right hand man and uh, Dr. Chavez actually um, was very close to Mandela he was very close to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. he was the former president of the uh, NAACP. And I learned a lot from Dr. Chavis and Russell. And we created more of these strategies, taking his beverage company and having a portion of the sales to go towards nonprofits and giving back to um, the, the communities that have been forgotten. And um, during that time working for Russell, I met every high profile celebrity you could possibly think of. Um, as a matter of fact, I knew um, about Beyonce and Jay Z's relationship. Uh, before <laughs> it was out in the open. We were having a meeting in Miami, and Jay-Z was in that meeting, and popped a couple of bottles of you know, very high-profile liquor. <laughs> and um, he was walking back, and I went to ask Jay-Z about a meeting with his people, and I bumped into Beyonce. And I go, oh, I think they're an item. So that's <laughs> where today, they're probably you know, the top hip-hop royalty.
1: So we have a few minutes still left, but you've had an amazing story. Is there any... If you could go back, was there any failure or anything you regret that if you could have a do-over, would be, what would it be?
2: Um, I've had a lot of turn-back moments. Um, there have been these points where I look my, at myself in the mirror and say, am I doing the right thing? You know, i disappointed my parents. Um, they still don't know what I did for a living. You know, it's a, <laughs> they just knew that I did, they didn't want me to marry a rapper. That was their greatest fear. So I had a lot of turn back moments. Um, and, and I've had had my parents and I had had uh, relatives who said don't be like your cousin because she's a bad influence, you know, she works for gay TV and she hangs out with rappers. So yes, I've questioned myself um, and my goals and my path many times. But the one thing was I've always um, stayed true to me. I realized this is my life. Um, this, I've only had one lifetime to fulfill everything that I want to do. And I realize um, more so now in my, I'm I'm 47 now, more so in my 40s and my 20s that time um, and health are the two things I can never buy back or get back. So you want to spend those uh, 20s and 30s wisely. Um, Don't give it to the wrong people. Invest in yourself. So the one thing I'm very proud of, even though I've had a lot of times where I question myself, was I've actually always had the courage to continue on my own path not always had a, have a clear direction of what that job path meant or what that career path meant, but I always knew the things that I love. Um, I love learning, I love giving, I love building, I love the art of business. Um, I, I get such a high, an inspiration, a burst of energy when I can be a part of something great and build and actually made a big difference. Sometimes these are little companies, sometimes they're big companies. Um, you know, been involved with a, a tech company that later on got sold to Amazon. You know, I was a small part of that. So by staying commit, committed to myself and investing in me, um, I knew that passion combined with purpose and, and giving myself time each day to do something towards that passion and purpose equal to progress. And if I have those three things, um, passion, purpose, and progress meets opportunity, that equals success. Um, I don't consider myself successful yet, but I do consider myself successful in life, not necessarily in business, because there's a lot more I want to do, but I consider myself wealthy and successful in life because I get to live in the Bay Area and Hawaii, and I love the people I surround myself with. I wake up, and I'm i am a student of life, um, and I get to live out my passion every day, and not many people can say that.
1: Right, and you have uh, your husband and your two kids right there, so you have that, too, yeah. now.
2: Yeah, <laughs> So and I'm done, that's it, Just <laughs> get, we're done, yeah.
1: <laughs> Any last bits of words of wisdom before we finish up here?
2: You know, always stay true to yourself. Um, it's okay th- to not know who you're gonna be or what you're gonna be in your 20s, your 30s, or your 40s, um, always be authentic. And uh, the one thing too that I learned is over time, when you look back in your life, some people talk about legacy, um, I too, like Josie, you know, was a caretaker for a parent who, who died from cancer. Um, I realized that it's not important to change your world. But if you can change one life, if it's a child, a friend, an elderly, um, that is a legacy. That is what you leave behind. So my advice would be, yeah, one life. Live it, love it, you know, always be authentic. And like The Rock said, be humble and always be the hardest working person in the room. And I hope that The Rock will see this and that we'll get a chance to meet again.
0: (laughs) Thank you for joining us for this episode. To learn more about Imagine Talks, go to www.imaginetalks.org. Edge interns and mental power hacks support this podcast. Edge interns sources the best interns to the best companies. Learn more at edge, that's edgeinterns.com. Mental Power Hacks is where you'll get life hacks to boost your mental performance, productivity, and success. Connect at mentalpowerhacks.com. Subscribe to us and get the latest episodes of Imagine Talks podcasts: Achieving Success, Social Impact, and Overcoming Obstacles. See you next episode.